by Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Blair Witch Project, starring Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, Joshua Leonard, directed by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time for film two in the cask of Just Press Record. This, is gonna, this has been a fun one so far. I think it's gonna we're going to continue on this fun bandwagon. Uh, Matt, what are we having to drink today? This is a very woodsy drink. So in a minimalist point of view, which is one of the things we're going to talk about in the film, yes. thought it'd make us a, wood, a minimalist woodsy drink. So this is old school Jack and Coke. There we go. This is what you mix <laughs> at the campfire because you can't take a real bottle. It fits in the flask. Yeah. So here's to Jack here's and Coke. Here's to Jack and Coke. And Cuba Libre minus the lime. An yeah. oldie but goodie. Reminds me of college. <laughs> exactly. Just, I know, like, just I, like college and regret. If I, want, if I don't want to be so fancy and I just want a nice mixed drink, I'll usually go for a Jack and Coke. Yeah. If I'm feeling it, I'll do like a Manhattan or Old Fashioned, but that's mm. when I'm getting a little more dressed up. <laughs> but if I'm just going out with the guys, like it's Jack and Coke. Yeah, it works. <laughs> it's pretty good. So we're going Jack I don't think I would take our, I love, we'd take the Four Roses or the Bib and Tucker like out into the woods. I'd probably smash the bottle, spill it everywhere. There's $60 just there on the woodsy floor. That's literally what the excuse is, right? <laughs> exactly. So we'll take Jack because... If you break the bottle, worst case is you're just out of bourbon, but you're not out 65. You're out $17. Excellent. That's pretty good. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So today we're talking about The Blair Witch Project, a seminal film from 1999. Uh, kind of really jump-started the found footage genre. We're going to talk all about that, but Matt, let's stay in the 90s a little bit. So the flight question for this week, you know, kind of being that this is kind of a very odd decade for horror, and maybe that'll be self-reflective in our lists, but what are your top three favorite horror films from the 90s? Odd decade's a kind way to put it. Sure. I think it's a bad decade for horror. Mm -hmm. I think I've said on this podcast several times that I really like that decade. Yeah. But my two favorite genres of film, Mm -hmm. noir and horror... Not banner decades for those. I'm going to go with Basic Instinct and the lists we're about to come LA up with. LA Confidential, maybe? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a couple moments, and there's a couple moments with horror, but overall... Kind of not, not nothing compared to, like, even the 2000s or yeah. the 80s. Like, Yeah, it's it was, so this was interesting to kind of reflect back and be like, you know, at, at lists and kind of go, that did come out in the 90s. I don't really like that movie, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm not very fond of that one. Yeah. There's not a lot that I rewatch, so to speak. No. Yeah. So, all right, my number three. Okay. Um, it's Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Scream because it created a mythology or a nomenclature mm-hmm. to slasher horror. Yeah. Uh, I think the genre had really kind of gone through about as low a point it had been through mm-hmm. prior to not being a genre at all. Yeah. And this brought it back. Now, <laughs> the Scream franchise gets a little played out, sure. like all horror does. Yeah. But that first. 10 minutes yeah. in Scream 1 that's good stuff. is great <laughs> filmmaking. Good stuff, yeah. And so that's my number three. Okay, excellent. Okay. I'm not going to talk about that one because it's probably going to show up a little bit later on my list. Oh, sorry. This is pro- no, this is, no, this is probably the way the list is going to go. Mm-hmm. My number three, I, I'm in a three uh, in a tie between two films, and they're so similar. I talked about one last week, Dead Alive, Peter Jackson, zombie comedy gore fest. 
And then kind of along that spectrum, again, like, are we calling this, like, true horror? But I guess I'm going to call it that. It's Army of Darkness, 1992. It's more comedic than any of the prior Evil Dead films, but the the Deadites, the hordes of the Necronomicon are still there that were placed from the prior two Evil Dead films. It's just fun. It's got some spooky moments, but I'm not terrified by it. But in terms of a genre of horror, I'm, I'm going to go with that one. I do notice that you brought your chainsaw arm with you. <laughs> Is that I should have known that would make the list. That's what that's Woods a one oh one, Matt. <laughs> okay, yeah, I also really like that film. Mm-hmm. It's hard to call that film horror. Yeah, I almost want to call it comedy. It, it is, right? Yeah. But because the decade is so um rife with yeah. not great horror films, yeah. and like I think you set it up too, maybe that's why found footage finds a beginning in the nineteen nineties, because I maybe think maybe we're just out of sh- bullets. I think there's a lot to say with the film we're talking about today and how that kind of pushed us in a different direction we'll get to that yeah uh okay so my number two is kind of similar to your army of darkness okay it's dust till dawn oh okay robert rodriguez not a great scary <laughs> horror movie but a great scene with salma hayek oh yeah my number one on the list of all timers yeah oh my to, to, can we raise it to salma hayek god <laughs> to bless quote, her to quote george clooney oh. in that in that scene that's a great fucking show <laughs> exactly yeah not a scary movie, just kind of a vampire carnage movie. Uh, wildly entertaining. Written, written by Quentin Tarantino. Written by Tarantino, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Pretty good cast. Harvey Keitel, J- Juliette Lewis. Quentin uh, Tarantino in it. Tom Savini. Yeah, that, I, I like that movie, too. Sure. Yeah. Um, but again, in the annals of like that movie moved me or scared me, no. Sure. But for me, I own it. Yeah. I do every time it's on, I'm happy to sit and rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Not just the Selma Hayek stripper part, but yes. all of it. Yeah. It's a wildly entertaining film. Definitely. So that's that's number that Jesse. Yeah. That's number two on yeah. my list for a decade. Yeah. Oh, we're off to I think we're further evidence of not this being a great decade. I'm kinda curious to see what your number one will be. And you know what it is actually. Maybe I do, and if it's not, I'm curious as to why maybe you didn't include this film mm-hmm. if it's not that one. Okay. I'll go with my number two is Silence of the Lambs. Yep. Uh, yeah, to start out the date, uh, the, the decade 1991, I'm actually rereading uh, Red Dragon right now, which is a very fascinating read. It's the prequel to uh, Silence of the Lambs with Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter. They're going after the Tooth Fairy uh, guy. But, you know, this one, for if you know it, all, all that it is, it's got some brilliant acting performances and i think yeah. the one that gets overshadowed by you know the brilliant uh, clarice starling and hannibal lecter is actually uh ted levine as buffalo bill like yeah. he's pretty frightening in that film it puts the lotion on his skin or else it gets the hose again mm-hmm. we'll have to talk about that film one day because of just everything that it envelops it's it's it feels like an epic horror suspense thriller but it's, it's kind of a contained little film, too. We have some gaps coming up in the calendar and the not-too-distant future. Yeah. Maybe procedural cop drama might be one that mm-hmm. we or we can tackle. Because uh, what I'm going to say mm-hmm. might give some indication as to why that didn't make my list of okay. horror. Okay, yeah. Whereas this decade is not good for <clears throat> horror. It's really good for that. Yeah. We've talked about that yeah, before. Yeah. Even yeah. Even... For all of the things that Basic Instinct is or isn't, and Sliver, there is an element of procedural cop drama Definitely. in both of those. Yeah, that might be a fun, fun cast. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. Is Event Horizon. Oh, it's okay. That's the one I was gonna actually say you were gonna go with. You know, I love that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie for and most of the time, space horror does not scare me. Mm-hmm. Like Alien has its moments. Whatever. Yeah. 
Um, that movie really troubled me in the theater. Yeah. Uh, again, great performances yeah. by kind of a forgotten B-list cast. Can I say that like Sam Neill's almost like quasi like Claude Rainsy a bit? Like very fair. I really love Sam Neill whenever I see him, but he's just like not in enough stuff. Have you ever seen Dead Calm with yes. Billy Zane and oh, yeah. Cole Kidman? Yeah, I have. He, he's good in that movie. Uh, that's it. That's my. That movie is not only number one in the '90s. That movie is on my top ten for me personally of yeah. horror ever. Oh, that's a good one. I re- essentially the story of a spaceship that's gone to hell and come back. Yeah, and you've given the task of rescuing it. Yes, and what have you then unleashed, which is hell? Yeah, um, I, I love it. It's yeah. a it's a really really good film that nobody saw, and is in. Really difficult to find. Sure, I found a copy, but we paid for that copy because <laughs> it's that's a tough film to find. That's an interesting. The guy that directed that, that Paul W. S. Anderson, because yep. he went on to do the, like the Resident Evil films mm-hmm. and uh, Alien versus Predator. Like, I don't think he's ever like done anything that's quite lived up to what Event Horizon is. Yeah, fair. Yeah, interesting. Oh, I was kind of so you fe- knew I was going. I there. was kind of feeling you were going to go with that one, number one. Or even like kind of dabble in seven, but like, are we truly calling seven like a pure horror film? I I don't I wouldn't. Okay, so since you brought that up, that's on my list of all time top three. Yeah, I can't say that's a horror mm. film. There's horrifying moments in it, but yeah. that's n- there, there's no way that's a horror movie unless it's the <clears throat> 1990s. Yeah, and then because you're just so devoid of anything that you can recognize. I mean, what Dust Till Dawn and Evil Dead yeah, Three yeah, yeah. or Army of Darkness? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's why that movie becomes possible fodder for that because you're just out of out. Sure. What are you going to give me? The Frighteners? <laughs> no. Body Parts? No, Mr. Cronenberg? I, I yeah. mean, like, what else is there? Yeah. And the, and the, the, there's always been like a hard definition, a gray area too, on like what you qualify as like a thriller, suspense thriller, mm-hmm. and like horror. Mm-hmm. And to me, there's there's two very, it, it's, see, that's why Silence of the Lambs to me almost fits into that okay. suspense thriller. For sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm dying to hear what your number one is. Number one for me, you already mentioned oh, okay, it. Yeah. It's it's Scream. Yeah. For everything that... Wheelhouse movie for you. Yeah, and talk about its placement in the 90s. 1996, you've had all this kind of like odd, the grunge movement, Silence of the Lambs, uh, Candyman and all this. And it's a kind of a dead genre. And, and Wes Craven himself had kind of gotten pretty soft. Like, do I need to mention Serpent in the Rainbow and like Shocker? Ugh, ugh. He had kind of disappeared from his like hard-hitting horse. So he came back... And with this self-referential script by Kevin Williamson, it totally brought that slasher genre back from the grave and then uh, unanimously at the same time just killed it too. Right. Because everyone tried to copy that formula, whether that be Urban Legend or I Know What You Did Last Summer or, right. you know, there's so many. And the only other film that I think kind of rep- was able to replicate that was Scream 2. Yeah. And kind of the self-referential idea of the sequel and upping the ante and two killer, whatever. I think that's a very important film, horror film in general, but also for the 90s. And it's fun, it's funny, but it's also serious when it needs to be. Yeah. I'll talk about an also a, a very unique cast too, whether that be Drew Barrymore, and then you have Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Matthew Lillard, Skeet. Like it, that's an interesting... Rose McGowan, uh, Jesus. Uh, uh, Jamie Kennedy. Like that's, that's an interesting cast. For, for a film like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, Henry Winkler is the principal. Right. The other thing that, for me and with everybody else that was a fan of the Scream franchise set up was who was going to die in the first 10 minutes and how were they going to do it? Mm-hmm. That became a pretty wildly anticipated event in yeah. that film. Maybe in some ways, yeah. the crowning point of the film. Sure. 
But I mean, the Drew Barrymore death in, in one, mm-hmm. and who's it? Um, Carmen Electra in two? No, that's no, the that's the it's that's Jada, the Wayan Brothers. It's Jada Pink, Pinkett Smith, Smith in and, two, uh, I think, and uh, Mackay Pfeiffer in and three. Yeah, um, Carmen Electra. That's funny. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I like those parts. And yeah, for something they had that Craven, and then and then he kind of lost it again too. So yeah, it's it's just an odd odd decade for horror, and it all was all kind of leading up to like two films in 1999. Blair Witch Project and The Sixth Sense. So, yeah. I don't know. I think we're ready. Are you ready to head into the woods, Matt? Let's head into the woods. Okay, I hope you... Turn have, off the goddamn camera. I hope you have that 30-pound camera. I got the DAT. Let's go find us a witch. So help me God, if you kick the map into the river again, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> All right. Let's get to happy hour time and our review breakdown of the Blair Witch Project. Away we go. This is Burkittsville, formerly Blair. It is a small, quiet Maryland town much like a small, quiet town anywhere. No more than 20 families laid their roots here over 200 years ago, many of whom remain either on this hill or in the town below. Okay, it's October 1994, and film students Heather, Mike, and Josh want to make a film, a documentary of sorts, all about this urban legend in... Where are we at? It's not quite not quite the Northeast, but it's kind of like mid-Northeast. Maybe like Michigan or something? Yeah, they're in Maryland. Maryland. Burkittsville, Maryland. And, you know, it's kind of like that guerrilla style. Let's go make a film. It's raw right from the get-go on, you know, 1994 DV, Sony camcorders that probably cost the consumer $2,000 when they first bought them. Well, that's for the purchase of the camera, not to mention the grand you're going to have to pay for lugging around after it blows out your back. Can you, can, can you imagine? <laughs> oh, iPhone, where we need you so bad. Do you remember to, like, take it, take, take it back to when you were a kid, what a VCR cost when they first came out? Oh, God, you don't even want to know. Like thousands of dollars. Thousands. And to kind of think now, and even like, you know, a Blu ray player now to kind of get is only like 100 or $150. So let me get in the time machine with you and blow your mind for a minute. Okay. When CD burners first came out, yeah. we bought one. Okay. The Sony one? Yeah. 650 for a CD burner. Yikes. It was functional for about a year. And then the technology was so antiquated yeah. that we had to get a new one. Look at all those CDs we're listening to today now, huh? iTunes, man. <laughs> Make your own burned mix now, I'm right now. I'm a Spotify guy myself, but no, yeah, this is an interesting time where just like the technology is so bulky, it's still kind of raw, not quite refined. This very much looks very consumer made. This it looks like like the the footage you'd make at like at, at Easter. This is your Easter family video. Exactly what it looks like. Yeah. And I think that rawness. So here's the the interesting thing epiphany I had when I was watching this film that you know for everything that horror was in the 90s and whether that's Candyman or Cemetery Man or Jacob's Ladder and everything that didn't make my list People was, under the stairs. Yeah, all that crap. Some of it's not crap, but it's Most of it it's, is. it's not great. Uh, this genre, and again, why I love it so much, it's so unique that it could literally turn to an idea or a technique such as Handycam, uh, on the run, shaky cam, found footage, consumer DV camera, and have it be such a game changer. Like, are you really going to make a found footage film in like a musical or even science fiction for that matter? Right. I mean, it lends itself to horror that. This is yet another unique technique that you can play with in this genre. I don't know if they knew what they were uncovering at the time with found footage. Here's Mm -hmm. the things that I think about found footage that allows you to do. Mm -hmm. What's off screen is what's out of shot of camera lens. That's effective because, again, it's what's not seen. Mm -hmm. 
the uneasiness of the bouncing within reason not to make you sick or get you nauseous as some people suffer from in this <laughs> because too much of that and there's moments in the Blair Witch Project that I think have been argued that that's too tough for me and it's too bouncy and I get dizzy that's people that I, I think that's fair I, I was a little rough for myself actually there's there's a few moments I wish it was it would have been steady when they're just kind of running through the woods but I don't think a physical uncomfortable feeling as a result of camera is off limits when it comes to horror no again but I don't think they did that on purpose no just no. sort of walked into that Oh, yeah. And the third thing is, because it was, you know, camera, VHS camera, it created a grainy mm-hmm. feel to it. And you and I have both talked ad nauseum on yeah. this, yeah. how sometimes high definition horror works against itself. Mm-hmm. And if this is grainy, found here, there, found there, in the attic, the basement, it leads to a sinister, almost nostalgic feel. Yeah. I also don't think they thought that was going to be one of the benefits of this. Mm-hmm. I think Here's what I think they thought. It was cheap. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I hope we get into the marketing in this film at some point, too, was really brilliantly done. I like, I'll tell you my story and how I came to it. Yeah. Um, and that was like in a... In a a tried and true genre yeah. that was on its last dying breaths horror. Yeah. It was time for a revitalization or a reincarnation of that. And this happened to come along. I don't think they had any idea this was going to no, go the way that no, it did. No way. And that's funny how horror is. It usually gets to like a bloating point where mm-hmm. everything's just kind of so kind of palatable garbage. Mm-hmm. And then it reaches that film that just totally, we're going down this road for the next five years type of thing. And that's this film. That's right. this film that captured that in the moment. Well, I'll just tell you, just based on my research, these directors were hoping for a straight-to-DVD release with this wow. when they when they took it to Sundance. They're like, we just hope we just get in the, in the homes somehow. Hmm. Like They didn't figure out that they were going to get bought. So... Yeah, it's it's that's kind of this feeling I had when watching it. So they go through, you know, the typical, you know, kind of, uh, you know, documentary, you know, steps at this point. We're going to get some on-camera interviews of the locals and through the tellings of these stories we learn about Rustin Parr, who's this woman hermit who lived in the woods, kidnapped a bunch of, of children and um killing them by the orders of some mysterious witch, the Blair Witch. In a very odd way, which is collect several of them. One yes. of them stands in the corner mm-hmm. so they don't see the way it's murdered, waiting mm-hmm. for their turn to then be murdered. Yes. I really like this part of the film. Yeah. This first 15 minutes because it's Heather and um, Mike and Josh, Josh mm-hmm. talking to the townies of Burkittsville. Yeah. And each one of them giving their version of the urban legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also really like the part specifically Mm -hmm. where she's talking to the woman who's holding the child yeah and the child gets uncomfortable and sort of fussy with the mom and it's probably the the kid's just bored but the way it looks on screen is something that mom is saying is moving that kid out of a comfortable place and you get a really nice backdrop of what the Blair Witch has meant to these people in this area Mm -hmm. and none of the stories jive yeah and so you create literally this urban legend. Mm-hmm. And you and I grow up in a place in the United States where we have our own, don't yeah, we? Yeah. I think that's also why I like it. Ours is La Llorona. Yeah. And it fits really nicely within my 
previous history mm-hmm. with horror and urban legends. Yeah. Do you like that part as I, much I, as I do? I, I like it, and you know, I, I I like that little bit too with the the two fly fishermen. Oh yeah, and they're kind of going back and forth, like ah, that ain't the way the story went, Jeb, or like <laughs> whatever his name is, and mm-hmm. they're kind of going back and forth on the authenticity of the true legend of the Blair Witch, right? Which passed down from family to family to townsfolk to townsfolk. Everyone's got a different version of this story, as urban legends go, and they're creepy. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Yes. Like. At this point in the film, yeah, I'm a little creeped out. Yeah, uh, which is interesting, and it goes back to one of the very common ways that we mm-hmm. keep horror going is through story. Yeah, storytelling. Everyone has a ghost story. Yeah, and here's Heather and her two friends with this collection of just townies. Yeah, and their story it, it, it works remarkably and well. So what me. we're doing too is also what we talked about last week with the, the this kind of opening bit with the found footage. The first ten to fifteen ish minutes are just kind of setting our getting our footing. Yeah, we'll say you know, kind of establishing our, our leads, their place, what their goal is with this footage, and then kind of getting a lay of, of the legend. So it's if you're in good found footage, you know, you're kind of taking this time to really get your bearings before we go off into the wilderness, which is what we're about to do here. Yeah, so we finish up the stories and the three pile into a car and just head off to the Burkittsville woods to see if they can find the Blair Witch. Yes. So And hopefully not run into the Jersey Devil at the same time or Sasquatch <laughs> or UFO that's or funny that Bigfoot. You me- it's funny that you mentioned Jersey Devil because prior to this, you know, there had been some found footage, but it quite an- it hadn't quite captured the zenith that this film did. You know, you have Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Where the literally the director of that film had to go stand trial because they thought that the people in that film were actually dead. Like that that's you if you wanted a great family movie night for your next family movie, go watch Cannibal Holocaust. You can thank me later. It's a joke, by the way. As you bring that up, <laughs> it's something that's occurred to me. Yeah. We've all seen that picture in the woods of that Bigfoot thingy. We've all seen that. We're sort of walking, striding. Oh yeah. You gotta if you think about it, mm-hmm. The wild popularity of that. Yeah. And we don't sit here and talk about it. No one does. But everybody's seen it. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody really believes in Bigfoot. Yeah. Except when you need to believe in Bigfoot to perpetuate your cause or your financing. <laughs> yes. But we've all seen that picture. Yeah. And it's consistently intriguing. We've all seen the one of Nessie with the crazy head poking up out of the water. <laughs> oh, like yeah. kind of yeah, almost to her back, but not. Yes, yes. You know, there was a backdrop set for these. Yeah. Those are both very grainy yeah. and low quality film. Yes. And we have watched and looked at those for decades, maybe mm-hmm. generations. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of surprised yeah. that it took till 1998, 1999 yeah. to come to found footage. I know Cannibal Holocaust, but I mean in a big way that was mass marketed. Yeah, no, exactly. There's a, this brings up a show I actually really liked on the Sci-Fi Channel. A lot of those ghost kind of shows are such bullshit. They're yelling like, like fuck you, ghosts, and they're trying to like egg on the ghosts, and it's like, it's so stupid. Cursing out a ghost doesn't work unless you're Pennywise. Then it works. <laughs> okay, good <laughs> point. Good point. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, the show was called Factor Faked, hmm. and it was a show that where they'd get this footage in, like the Bigfoot footage, or just like all this YouTube, like, I caught a leprechaun on my camera or whatever, <laughs> yeah. and they would go to the actual place, and they would try and replicate, like, the circumstances and kind of look at it, and sometimes they were able to do it perfectly, like, replicated and it's fake mm-hmm. and there were some times when it would kind of leave them perplexed and i kind of like that gray area of urban legends was that show possibly narrated by the ex-senator of nevada harry reed <laughs> no, no. and if you guys don't know what that means look it up yeah that's actually a really clever joke no no it wasn't okay yeah 
Excellent. So, okay, we're here in the woods in full documentary mode, you know, and they're just kind of going through, you know, typical woods. Did I say New York? I meant Nevada, by the way. If I said New York, I meant Nevada. Okay, go ahead. And, you know, here we go across, you know, boulders looking for any traces of said Blair Witch. And, you know, this is interesting. This is where we kind of get to, you know, learn about the learn about the the characters a little bit and, you know, the kind of the nature of, you know, Heather and her. She's kind of the real steam engine really driving this thing. Much like last week, we had Angela Vidal really kind of driving in that news story. So it gets to the point later in the film where, like, these guys are, like, up to here with it. And you kind of wonder, why do they keep filming? That's going to become a bit of an issue for me later in the film. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and we really don't get a lot. We get a nice look at the Burkittsville Woods. <laughs> <laughs> I kicked the... <laughs> I'm sorry, it's fucked up. It's fucked up, but I, I kicked that fucking <laughs> into the creek. Yes, <laughs> It was useless. I kicked that fucker into the creek. <laughs> I fucking hate this kitty. Mike. Holy shit. I really fucking hope Mike, he's kidding. Are you kidding. I really fucking hope Mike, he's kidding. Are you fucking kidding? I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. You've got to be kidding me. Mike, you have got to fucking be kidding me. I'm fucking kidding. Get the fuck off me, man. What the fuck are you out of your fucking mind? Oh, I'm not out of my mind. You're not doing shit. You realize not to you, but I do what the fuck that man says. I'm sorry. You are a fucking asshole. I'm sorry. We sort of get that there's a wide geographical area that they're going to be exploring. And they have a pretty impossible task, which is in this, they're initially looking for something called the Coffin Cemetery. Yes. Okay, so again, I don't know exactly what time in the film we get the first indication of something paranormal. Yes. But it's not going to be for a while. Yeah. Instead, what we do get is some narrative from Heather as she's reading, accounting from a memoir, or discussing this hill of graves or whatever it might be that seems to have ties to maybe where the legend came from but isn't necessarily Blair Witch proper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to have to carry you for a little while in this film as far <laughs> as like the yike stuff, yes? Yeah, because the next thing we get, like after they do a bit of woods and boo fair, we get, you know, their first night... Again, you know, they're filming everything and we get, you know, kind of like twigs snapping in, in the distance. Yeah. Like, I do have to say, like, you know, for an appetizer uh, of sorts, like a lot of these films, you know, kind of will start out kind of like small and then build up. Maybe not wreck last week. That one just like went right for the jugular, no literally. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we get like some nice kind of like spooky sounds in the woods and... I don't know. You know, if you're out in the middle of the woods, I try to think back to the times I went camping. And, you know, if I did hear something like that, I, I don't think I would necessarily want to go out and, like, investigate what's making those noises. Or, yeah, yeah. Or capture what's on the footage. Right. But for this film, I think eventually I would maybe like to see what's doing that and maybe practically catch that on camera if possible. Again, I don't know because I've never read the interview that addresses this from the directors of this film. Sure. Is this inspired by campfire stories? And then after they're done, every little movement and every twig and every howl that you hear in the woods mm-hmm. feeds into that. Because yeah. kind of that's what we're relying on at this point in the film for your boo fair, as you said. Yeah, snapping twigs, rustling in the leaves. Yeah, things like that. So, no, yeah, I'm kind of with you. And 
know, to kind of maybe answer your question a little bit, this idea was originally conceived in 1993 as, uh, you know, kind of like an idea for them to dabble in, and they eventually got around to shooting it. This is what's remarkable to me about this. They shot this film for eight days, only eight days. Wow. And, you know, they accumulated like 20 hours worth of footage, and they edited that 20 hours into 82 minutes, and that's essentially the film that we got to watch. So they didn't spend a lot of time out there, hmm. which you, with the film like this, you think maybe, ah, oh, maybe a month. No, eight days. That's That's something. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, we're kind of going along our way, and now it's kind of like when they're kind of stuck in the rabbit hole now. You know, they start traversing over, you know, different areas here in the woods, and it looks like they're almost going around in circles. And, you know, based on the camera and being in the woods, you don't have, like, a point of reference for anything. Yeah, you'd kind of probably get lost, too. Well, I'd come to find out in not too long that that's exactly what they are, is lost. Um, there is a bit of a ticking bomb el- or ticking, yeah, I guess ticking bomb element here in that the resources that they have are limited. And there's only so far you can go with what they have. And I think their intention is at like two and a half to three day shoot initially as the documented documentary film crew. What ends up happening though is as we sort of just circle around and around and around and come to realize that they in fact are lost Mm -hmm. is we start to run out of cigarettes and the other thing too that i really noticed they start to run out of is patience Mm -hmm. and namely with heather yes now this is something for me with paranormal or spectral horror Mm -hmm. is such an untapped resource of good story and that's the it does it a little bit in paranormal yeah but the angrier or the more toxic the relationship comes between our crew or our main characters, mm-hmm. the more we're able to feed on that yes. if we're the bad guy or the entity. Sure. Um, not in this film because we're just not there yet. Yeah. So we, we get kind of angry filmmakers for a while. Yeah, we do. They're kind of you know, real snippy with each other, you know, and that especially here. I think we're at the moment now where... You know, they gave, uh, I believe it was Josh, you know, this map to kind of hang on to that's kind of, you know, leading them on their way. And then him, out of lack of patience, just decides to, like, kick it in the river. And boy, too late, they let them have it, don't they? Yep, they do. So, yeah, you're right. Like, it would be nice to kind of see at this point in the film after, you know, they start turning on each other. Much like in films we've talked about in the past when you have, you know, an isolated kind of setting with characters that are very much in each other's business where you really start to see it unravel. Yeah. And I don't I, I think I'm with you. I don't think we ever in this film really fully see that come to fruition. No. And instead what we get is we get the the famous Blair Witch Twigman uh sculptures littered all throughout the thing. So again now we're alluding to a bit more of the supernatural. Like, oh who built these, who put these here, why are there so many of them? And, you know, being out in the middle of the woods, it is a little mysterious. They're they're trying to allude to the fact that maybe it's, you know, uh, fellow campers or hunters just trying to, like, screw around with them. Mm -hmm. And, again, okay, so we're kind of settling in. It's the next night. And, you know, Paranormal's really good at at doing this. Maybe that's something on the horizon. I don't know. But, you know, with each, you know... Uh, coming night in that film, you kind of see things progress a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more. 
And I don't know if this film is really good at doing that because what we get the next time we get a few more snapping twigs or like some like, I don't know if you want to call it snapping twigs. It almost sounds like someone's taking a rock and throwing it against stones. Yeah. And that's kind of echoing. But I, yeah, that's exactly what I thought, except mm-hmm. I thought it was two people with rather large river stones just clacking them together mm-hmm. and then letting it echo. Was well, this Monty Python? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Maybe that's where that came from. Yeah. For the no budget that they made it on, that's probably, in fact, what it is. Mm-hmm. I think that goes a little ways. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. You brought up the Twig Man, and that's a, a very common <laughs> element in this film. <laughs> twig Man. <laughs> yeah. Is the Twig Man more jeopardizing to our film crew than the little statue of rock sepulcher that they find out? No, because you know what? Honest honest to God, I don't know what any of these things are actually supposed to represent. Okay, you just stole my thunder. Okay. I don't, right, because I agree with you. I don't know if it... Like, they look creepy. Yeah. And who has made all these little stick men everywhere. Yeah. But if I was to just walk around and every so often come across this little... Pyramid of rocks yeah. that don't even really fit to what the woods are, by the way. Sure. Um, <sighs> That's not one to make my heart race. No. And if I, I had the film, in, especially they had an opportunity in those testimonial uh, scenes to really kind of mm-hmm. establish you, up. The, the elements yep. where they said, if if you come across the, the twig man, you are in the witch's domain yes. and you better get out. But no, we, they just come across it and they're freaked out because it's unnatural, but with no explanation as to what the purpose is and why the audience needs to be scared of it. And I think even before we see the first twig man, don't we see that semi nest with rocks in it? Yeah. Like in the trees. Yeah. It almost looks like a, a hornet's nest or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, in a one-off, that's a creepy moment. If it's played up to some effect, it's just not. Let so me, we have Twigman, the nest, the the rock nest, and then the rock structure on the ground, excellent. stone structure on the ground. Well, let's talk a little bit about why my why audiences might be scared up to this point. So, film was made in eight days, uh, twenty hours of footage, down to eighty-two minutes. They take this thing to Sundance, and this is kind of like. You know, indie film is still kind of around, but it's not in its heyday like it was at the beginning of the 90s. So, again, like I told you, they're just hoping to find like a DVD distribution or get on the freaking sci-fi channel. But no artist and entertainment and R.I.P. buys it for like one point like one million dollars and decides to put this thing in the theaters because they showed it at midnight. It got a reaction. But you hinted at it last week. They went to Sundance with all these missing posters or deceased of heather josh and mike these real people playing part themselves in the film saying that this was real footage that was uncovered really playing up that thing that this is real and this is how it really happened so i think you know watching it years later and i want you to tell your story now coming up okay i watched it i don't know i think i was in college and i already knew about the blair witch i already knew it was it was a film so that 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 kind of element was kind of a, lost li- on you. a little lost on me, yeah, or a little, a little kind of muted. So it wasn't really scaring me because I knew it was a film, and I'm equally not scared because the film's really not showing me anything. It's making me nauseous, in fact. <laughs> so my introduction to that film was in that magazine that I've mentioned a few times, which was Premier Magazine. It doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. There was just an advertisement in there of the most real documentary you've never seen. Mm-hmm. Find out what happened to these three people, and it was just a picture of the woods yeah with it almost looks like 
police-like scribe yeah. from a typewriter uh-huh. as the legend or the superimposition titles over that ad. Mm-hmm. And it just felt really raw and authentic. Now, that lasted for a couple days because even back then the internet was still a thing. And it was pretty easy to debunk that rather rapidly. But initially I was like, whoa. Um, and there were quite a few articles that then we then found that really had people quite troubled before they yeah. realized the cat was out of the bag and it was all a hoax. Yeah. So the, and actually people were upset about that. Yeah. That it wasn't real. Yeah. You it's want weird. it to be real? You want these people to be dead yeah. and you just scarred for the rest of your lives? Yeah, that's a great feeling. Yeah. But... <laughs> No, talk about a genius marketing campaign. So not only coupled with this purchase from Sundance, it's going into the theaters. Everyone thinks that these people are really missing or dead. Uh, again, you mentioned it, the internet. Like, it was around, but it wasn't like what it is today. No. So for something to catch, like, uh, what we call a viral sensation now, mm-hmm. that's what this was. You were able to kind of share the links through uh, AOL <laughs> and uh, uh, AOL messengers and across these boards to kind of really spread the word that mm-hmm. this is a real film footage that's coming out and go check it out because this is like the scariest thing that anyone's ever seen. Like it's truly a film helped out by genius marketing that advent uh, talking about catching lightning in the bottle bottle. I always talk about film success is always of its time. Like jaws. Yeah. This fits this film because they were able to utilize a technique that hadn't been used for film marketing before the internet. Right. Yeah. So kudos to them for that. Yeah, Maybe no, that's artisan more so than the filmmakers. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it had to be artisan that really kind of gummed up that uh, marketing campaign. But uh, legend has it, you know, whatever the final budget was, I think the general consensus is that it's around sixty million or sixty thousand uh, dollars to make. Ended up grossing two hundred forty-eight million worldwide. Huge. It's the most profitable film. Uh, uh, ROI, return of investment of all time until 2009. Mm-hmm. Won't mention what that film is, but that's huge. Yeah, that's that, that's a big win for the studios. I think it was the 10th highest grossing film of 1999. That's saying something not only for horror, but for, for something like this, where at this point in the film, other than being shaken up by some of the urban legend lore and the townspeople, I'm not very scared. Like, I clacking stones, like... <laughs> Yeah, there's not a lot that's happened as far as what the scary moments are. So let's get on with it then, okay? <laughs> Can I mention one more thing that sure. also kind of fed into that too? Was these directors made a mockumentary on the Sci-Fi Channel uh, called Curse of the Blair Witch. Oh, really? And, yeah, and so that came out, I think, about a month or two before the film came out. Oh. So that's more uh, gasoline on the fire. You're just like igniting that this is a real thing. And so, yeah, let's get on with it. So we're in the woods. We're lost. The map, did you say the map is gone? <laughs> the map's gone. They chewed them out. The map is gone. They're fighting. They're running low on resources. There are stickmen and little stone structures and clacking rocks in the night. And we're just sort of getting that over and over and over again. And I'd like to say that that progresses to some new element. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. No. Instead, what becomes horrifying, if that's what you want to say, because this is a horror movie, <laughs> is their relationship. Yeah. And they just start turning on each other. Sure. Heather's blamed for losing the map. Uh, she feels really bad about it. She can't quite understand. And I think the thing that that starts to instill in them is if she really didn't lose the map, then someone took the map. And that's pretty scary. So what about that? Okay, so that lasts for about five minutes. And then we come to find out that the map had been kicked in the river because Mike. Oh, Josh. Josh, sorry. Yeah. Josh? Yeah. <laughs> 
Josh was upset about the map not being able to be used to some effective blah, 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 blah. And now we're just basically stuck. So they decide, let's follow the stream to get out of here. And I'm going to go ahead and get to it. After several days of just circling, or hours of circling, sorry, not days, we come to find out that that's all they've been doing is walking in a circle. And yeah. it kind of seems like no matter what direction they Exactly, go. yeah. And that's that's a bit, bit supernatural-ish. Yeah. And I'm kind of liking that part. And we get to a point in the film here towards the middle, which I think could have been very effective horror-wise. which Sour is mesh. Which is, yeah, this this bit here with where they're in the tent again, and we don't hear the, the cackling stones or snapping of twigs, but we hear children laughing mm-hmm. in the woods, mm-hmm. which is, okay, that's that's eerie. We've gone from yeah. just kind of a deer stepping on some sticks to <laughs> some freaky shit. Right. So then, not only that, but then, like, something starts, like, rustling the tent. Okay, Matt, it's at this point... That I probably would have... Okay, so here we got to talk about these cameras. I just mentioned it earlier at the beginning of the episode. Okay. $1,000 consumer, Sony camcorder, what film equipment, whatever. Mm-hmm. These things probably weigh 30 to 35 pounds. Yeah. Maybe more. Right. Why are you going to be running with that and still filming? I, at this point, I would have stopped filming with the camera. Like, because it's not like it's illuminating anything because they're in night vision mode at this point. Right. I, I'm I'm starting not to buy the logistical reasoning for continuing to film, especially having to run down the thing. Now, here's where I would actually show something in the the corner or in the backdrop of of the footage while they were running, like maybe like a facade or a shape of something. Yeah, undefined. Yeah. Instead, it's just them running and her yelling, "What is that?" And then, like, we don't get to see what it is. It's just, it's just they're yelling and screaming. And then, what's making me sick is the the camera movement. I'm getting nauseous again. I think that's interesting that you said that mm-hmm. because if you can't suspend your disbelief in found footage. Mm-hmm. You have to sort of admit that the movie is failing on a pretty large scale at this point. Yeah. It's literally documentary, here's what happened, filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And if you're saying, I don't buy that, and I don't buy that this is happening in the film, you're not able to get past that. And here's the thing that's even more troubling when you think about it. Yeah. It's running from a sound. That should be pretty easy to do. Yeah. Because they set up with the kids laughing, and that's pretty effective. And then you shake the tent. That's also pretty easy and effective to do, and it plays... But then what happens from that? They would just leave the camera. They could have left it on, on filming and maybe some like feet walk by the open door of the tent. Right. And we get something. Because what happens, they come back and what do they find? Yeah, all their crap's thrown everywhere. So the camera could be part of that collateral damage yeah. after they've run away and left it. Mm-hmm. And then the camera's broken or she's wor- more worried about the camera being broken than where they're stuck. There's a lot of sour mash opportunity here. Mm-hmm. I think the bigger issue is we're hung up too much on the camera and not what's bothering them or haunting them in the woods. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go on. And so I've mentioned too in weeks past, you know, it seems like Alien always wants to make an appearance on these episodes, but for good reason because. You know, I mentioned this is probably how you should want to show your monster in small spurts and then kind of really give it to us, you know, in, in, in small increments. Yeah. We beat with a dead horse on this Rice Mile show that less is less is more. more. What we see is less. But I think that goes to an extent. I think what we see is is less is more. 
But I think eventually you do have to show your your monster yeah. to some extent. You do. That would be like watching Alien, and we've been teasing this creature through the whole thing. We get to the end of the film, and Ripley kind of gets away, and we never get to see what the xenomorph looks like. I'd feel a bit cheated, wouldn't you? Yeah, and can I bring up another film that does that pretty well? Yeah. The Innocents. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking across the pond and we see that ghastly black clad image with the long stringy hair briefly, yeah, you get it. It's now, so- if it's in the night, you don't even have to have that much resolution, mm-hmm. but you've got to give me something. Something. And they, even if it's not that they see it, and I actually like what you really said a minute ago, yeah. if we stay in the tent with the camera as we listen to them running away screaming, mm-hmm. and then we see what happens in the tent with some hairy feet or because there's been an element of this Blair Witch being quite hairy which is sort of odd (laughs) Um, but if that walks in there here's what we know Mm -hmm. something they don't and now you have that working as well the the time bomb under the table while the people are dining and you know it's going to go off and you can't tell them because they're in the screen and you're not exactly just a huge miss yeah so yeah they're trying to scare us in different ways so we get back you're right their stuff's all thrown about and you know, they still keep, keep trying to find something. They always keep, like, end up running out of sunlight, and they just have to camp. They just keep having to camp and have these horrible experiences. Right. Well, we'll get to the kind of, like, one of the final ones here. So, you know, they, they, they go through, you know, you know more crap, and then they wake up one morning, and, and Josh is missing. God. The guy, he, then they can't find him. They're yelling. They're like, where did he go? He didn't say he'd leave. And, yeah, they, they, they can't find him. And th- this becomes, you know, a bit, a bit troubling, you know, for them. So for the two remaining, Mike and, and Heather... Do we stay and look around for Josh, or is this just like a totally different ball game, and we just find a way to get out of here? I think I'd get out of there and then like call the cops or national guard or forest rangers or yeah game warden, and then we'd start looking. At this point, it's it's too mysterious to kind of keep sticking around. So you have two choices: mm-hmm. stay and look for him, yeah. or leave. And they don't do either. Yeah, which. Okay, yeah. I guess that's their decision. Mm-hmm. But again, you have two opportunities to drive the story. Yeah. And instead, they sort of just mope around. Yeah. Essentially, for the rest of the film. Yeah. They just stay at the campsite, lamenting the loss of Josh, and kind of consoling each other as they're running out of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they have some discussions to try to ease it. How you want a mom's meatball sandwich or this or that. And no one, at this point, I don't know if you care. Yeah. Either go find your friend or you have to start hoofing it to somewhere else to try to get out of there. Yeah. Because at least you're doing something. Or find a way to progress the story through maybe a unique conversation, like maybe a little bit about the characters and what they were, what she was hoping to do with this film after it was complete, or, or just something, just so we kind of we're getting to know them a little bit because like we're just kind of just say, sitting sitting around in the woods at this point, and we're not seeing a Blair Witch. We're not getting any answers. People just keep disappearing, and... Yeah, we're like in a stasis right now. Of the three people that are the documentary film crew, would you agree with me that Heather is the most natural choice to be the expert on the history of the Blair Witch? Mm -hmm. Like that's a natural fit? Mm -hmm. Okay, so back to what you said. This is a really good time for her to reveal something really dark that maybe she hadn't told either one of them about what might be coming and it's following a pattern. Yeah. You know, this has happened in the past, and I'm afraid we are in the end game. Haha, ha, that's obviously a ripoff from <laughs> the Avengers. But again, it doesn't happen because most of Heather's knowledge has come to us in the film through the communication with the townies 
And since they're not around, she's not developed in, as an expert or anything. And frankly, all she's kind of done in the film is worry about the camera. And at this point, that is such a minor story thread or arc in the Blair Witch. No one cares. And you you stopped caring about that 15 minutes ago when yeah, they were running away with the camera. Exactly. So at this point, I'm just... I know why I'm still watching it because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to... Maybe are they going to find... Are they going to find Josh? Are they going to? Are we going to see something of the Blair Witch at the end? Which you know, horror at the end can be a slow burn at times, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, kind of just waiting to see what envelops. But we get a little bit of of kind of we get get these. Okay, so again, it's it's so mysterious. Why are you still sticking around? Yeah. You get these sticks wrapped up with like clothing, and inside the middle of this stick trophy is <laughs> a, a bloody tooth. Is that what that is? It's a tooth, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What did you think it was? I had no idea. It seemed like there's some hair there. Okay. So not clear. Right. But Again. Okay, I'm, well, sure, let's go with tooth. So she withholds that from mm-hmm. from Mike. Mm-hmm. But at that point, why are you, are you get out of there? It's like, time and, to go. And turn the camera off. Right. The cameras, we talked about last week how in Wreck, you know, they have to keep the camera on because eventually that power goes out in that apartment and it's their one source of illumination from either headlamp down to night vision right it suits a a, a driving purpose right here we're just it's just, it's just the means to capture everything until we kind of get heather's kind of like final like last will and testament if we want to call it that yeah and that's been quite parodied often and it's that half shot of her face where she's crying yeah apologizing to all of the moms of the film crew for leading them on this quest that inevitably is going to end up with them dead in the woods. Yes. Okay, so... Okay. Off, I guess we are at the final bit here. Yeah, but we, we go from that to, like... It sounds like someone, like, screaming for Calling pain. Out. Yeah, it sounds like Josh. So they, they, they followed these sounds, and they come across this this little house shack in the, in the middle of nowhere. Which... Why haven't they found that before? But okay, I guess it has spectrally appeared. Yeah. So we go exploring the house shack, you know, looking for Josh. We may be thinking he's being torn apart here by the the witch or somebody or hunter or whatever. They make some nods to deliverance at at, at Mm -hmm. points throughout the film, which, you know, this could be that type of situation. So I'm willing to buy that. But, you know, they, they go upstairs. There's nothing. They turn around. And now we're not even on... We're on whatever version of night vision this camera has, which is almost kind of like X-ray-ish. Like, it's like a white and black tone. Yeah. Nothing upstairs. They hear stuff downstairs. So they he runs down there and then gets kind of like attacked by something that we don't see. That camera stops. She goes down. It's kind of the same. She kind of pans around, sees him in the corner, and then just is like, like screaming like, bye! And then and then she goes down. Here's what's weird for me in this. Mm-hmm. Who has the camera at this point? Because before they enter the house, yeah. Mike is carrying a camera too. Mm-hmm. If you go back and watch that, he's got a camera. Yeah. So he thought, goes into the house. Yeah. It would make sense that Heather has the camera. But if you listen to her screaming as we're watching him go up and down the steps, because we are watching POV at his back. Yeah. She's 
in a proximity sound-wise that doesn't match the proximity to the camera. Yeah. And I found that really distra- wildly distracting in this film. And I think they, Where, Where's the camera, man? I think they have two cameras, if I remember, because so I think we're seeing a lot of the footage from Heather's POV and her narration, and then I think Josh has the other camera and Mike's kind of like the sound boom guy. So okay. I, I think there's two cameras at, at play here, but you know, I'm kind of with you. Yeah, the placement. And I think they, don't they pass each other on the stairs? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so if Heather has one camera, yeah. her calling out doesn't fit where she would be because she wouldn't have to scream. I mean, it sounds like she's a football field away, how faint the mic and echoed the mic calls are, right? Yeah. So that part is, it, it, that, that doesn't work. Like, yeah. I, and I want everybody that's listening, if you've never seen it, the last five, six minutes of this film, I really want you to pay attention to that because for a movie that has been very diligent about the placement of the camera in relationship to the characters, mm-hmm. basically they just said to hell with it at this point. We got to get to it. Uh, again, rather young release in the in the found footage library of films. But in my opinion, this is done really, really poorly. Yeah, and, and the, 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 this ending gets talked about a lot for being pretty scary for him standing in the corner and just the you know, unexplained nature of it all. And and I'm willing to give it that, but like, this is the opportunity that the film has to show us something. Oh, give I, me a shadow. Something. Give me. Well, some. you get one thing. You get a bunch of handprints on the wall. Yeah. Some children's handprints. Yeah. Give I, I I need something here to make this trip worthwhile for me as a film watcher and in horror for the slow burn that I've been given. And you've teased me with some clackling of stones and some snapping of twigs and a bloodied tooth. I, I need something here. Yeah. Doesn't have to be big. Doesn't have to be a lot. Because a film like Paranormal doesn't really go big at the end. You know what I mean? But we don't show like the real monster, the demon, like at the end. Go back to last week, Wreck. I think we get to see that at the end of that film. Boy, no kidding. And oh my god. <laughs> right. I just feel cheated at, at the end of this film. And I'm willing to buy the hoopla and the genius marketing and then the, the journey to get here... You know, for all the, like, when I finally saw this, I, I probably saw it at least 13 or 14 years after its release, quite a bit of time, and it had built up this legacy as being a really scary film and this and that. I, I'm not seeing it at this point, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember the first time thinking that scene in that house was pretty scary, too. Mm-hmm. And then this time through, it's just it's just not. Yeah. And I sort of think the house is out of place, too. I don't think this stone-structured two-story house fits shouldn't it be like more of a log lean to lean to kind of a house it doesn't, <laughs> a witch cabin <laughs> it doesn't fit yeah uh and so before heather eventually meets her end she does finally find mike who she's just looking trying to find in the house which at least that was set up by one of the testimonials of the yeah. the townies facing the corner yes but the way he's leaning in the corner i think he's already been had mm-hmm. <laughs> so Essentially, she goes in there. We finally have Mike and Heather back together. Mm-hmm. And then she's knocked over by some force off screen. The camera knocks on the ground and it just runs and we fade out. Yeah. And I'm left with the same thing you are that was, well, I hope that tooth or whatever that was was enough. Because that was <laughs> kind of the most visible, and even that's not really that visible, the mm-hmm. most visible iteration of the Blair Witch on the screen. Yeah. I think there's like a whooshing sound effect that's used when it takes Mike out and he, he slumps over. Like something like 
pawed him over the head. Maybe, I, maybe it was a bear in there. I don't know. You know what I really like what you said earlier? If in the tent when they run after run out after the tent's being shaken and the children's laughter is outside, yeah. we stay in there and we see something. I don't even know what, but something walk across the POV of the camera on the ground. Yeah. You've set up something and you pay it off in the scene. And that's been after Heather's been knocked down. Yeah. We see those same things walk across. We hear some rustling. And then we watch what is her being drug away. Yeah. Even that's not a lot. Yeah. But it's some closure. Something. And it's some. To whatever the hell this wasn't. Or some payoff. You're yeah. you're always talking about payoffs and yeah. what you need in in story. I think I think horror actually really truly needs a payoff. No no question. By the end, right? Either the ultimate kill, the ultimate gore scene, or the taking down of the antagonist, or the reveal of the true monstrosity. Well, what you said to me right there—that's the to me then horror—that's the most important one. Yeah. When we finally get to see the thing, the mm-hmm. evil thing. Mm-hmm. It's, look, go back from the earliest days of universal horror. Yeah. Frankenstein, the monster, mm-hmm. the transformation of Lon Chaney into the Wolfman, and yeah. even even um, Dracula. Yeah. Revealing the thing, the the bad guy, the monster, is such a great moment. Yeah. You got to give me something. You know what's the scariest part of the film? So we, we fade to black at, at the end of this kind of dropped footage, and we get our credits, there's this interesting, like, drone soundtrack over the credits. Uh, yeah, like, it's, like, almost like, it's almost like a trombone playing a low note in, like, an abandoned, like, parking structure. Wow. It's, like, and it's kind of unsettling. And I'm, like, the scariest part of this film is the music at the, at the end of it. Or is that just kind of unnerving me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a lot of, I think it's a lot of talk and less show. Man, we're always saying show, don't tell. Well, I don't know if this film could exemplify that even more. You know what I mean? Right. Could have showed me a little bit more. Yeah. Okay, so we've reached the end here. So before before we kind of wrap up, this film actually does have a couple sequels. Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows, which I've never seen, and just a straight Blair Witch, which is actually another found footage. And I did see it. I remember it not being great, but I remember you actually see some things hmm. you actually see things well if i'm not mistaken i haven't seen blair witch 2 yeah. book of shadows mm-hmm. has nothing to do with this film oh yeah i, I don't know but, no i'm pretty sure i'm I'm pretty sure that it's yeah completely unrelated it basically takes place i think in an apartment complex in the middle of the city and it's it's not really it, it's very <laughs> it, it's not this movie at we'll, all we'll have to check maybe we're wrong on that but yeah I, not, I, no, I, i've never seen it. it it's it's very 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 unrelated sure uh okay and then um also interesting there's currently right now if you have an xbox there's a downloadable game for uh, xbox systems uh called blair witch Hmm. and it's like uh i don't know if it's first person pov horror or just kind of like third person horror but that sounds pretty cool for this idea i hope stuff actually leaps out at you Mm -hmm. but yeah let's get to our ratings here so we have rocket well call single barrel and top shelf let you go first, Matt. I think that this is the beginning point of a genre or subgenre of horror is important. This is where found footage officially in a mass marketed way begins. Yes. So because of that, mm-hmm. there's certainly a uniqueness or an element of uniqueness to this. Mm-hmm. So is there such a thing, Jesse, <laughs> as single barrel rot gun? <laughs> 
because I think that's what my rating is. And if not, then I guess they average out at very, very low call. Like I can't tell you at any point in this, or maybe low, maybe maybe well. Yeah. But do you know what I mean by that? No. This, yeah. This is the first of its kind. Yeah. And because of that, if it's single barrel and that speaks to uniqueness of the of the bourbon yeah. or the liquor, mm-hmm. this then applies. Yeah. But that also speaks, I think, some level of quality mm-hmm. or else no one buys it. Exactly. So, and frankly, you, 240, ninth biggest, 240 million, ninth biggest film of 1999, biggest return on investment in the history of film at the point. People did buy this film. Yeah. Now, because people bought it doesn't mean that my rating goes up, but it speaks to... It was successful. It was something. Yeah. I don't know. I guess, man, as weird as this is, maybe it's call minus to well plus. No, that's okay. You can do because I'm going to do two ratings. Like okay, so then I'm going to stick with single barrel. How, how do you go from <laughs> call minus to well plus to what I really want, which is rock gut single barrel? That sounds like a nightmare in the bar. It's just like the the bartender's just giving you like a bunch of stuff. Like, hey, that that first one you gave me was pretty good. This next one makes me want to bomb it. And you know what? Okay, let me. Let, <laughs> I, I, maybe I'm, I think I'm being a little dramatic here. Yeah. So maybe it's not rocket, but it, it's single barrel well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll get, Th- that's kind of where I'm going. Okay. For the marketing campaign yeah. for this this film's place in horror history, which I think there's maybe we'll have to do a shot episode on that, like the the, the landmark like horror films, because there's like Ooh. The Exorcist, Jaws, Halloween. Friday the 13th, yeah. Scream. Like I, to me, there's landmark films in horror that either instigate a turning point or it, it captured well, whether go with Caligari in there at some level. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where it captures either the American or the worldwide, like, you know, I at that moment. Mm-hmm. And this film did that especially capturing, you know, internet as a source to market a film, which yeah. hadn't been done yet. Right. For all of that, it gets a single barrel because it was the first of its kind. It opened up the doors to a new genre that I tend to sometimes like with like films like Wreck, this one. Uh, I know we both like Chronicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the, the the VHS anthologies. Oh, there's a couple of great entries in that. VHS one, one. 1 and 2 yeah. are actually really good. So for that, yeah, single barrel. But for the film that actually is on the screen that I get to watch, yeah, it's like well minus. Okay. So we it's, agree. It's almost there with, with Rock Gut. Right. I mean, there's some stuff there that can kind of unnerve me, like, you know, the kids laughing and that and the droning credit music. But oh, it's the <laughs> droning credit music. Ooh, well, yeah, that's that's not really a vote of confidence. I know, but yeah, it's it kind of says it's a whole lot of noise wait. and and suggestion and wait for not a payoff. Yeah. And I don't like that in horror. I I I, I need something. I need to see something or feel something yeah first time i watched this i didn't i didn't feel a lick scared and you know i I feel like i need to feel that when i watch these movies i want to feel uneasy so yeah what an odd rating for for a film but i think it kind of deserves those two ratings (laughs) it's it's interesting so somebody put a really nice barrel together and and charred it and found some nice wood to make it and then created a really shitty version of bourbon to age in it there you go yeah because if you think about it 1999 Mm -hmm. this is 20 year old bourbon yeah just you, aged really poorly. There you go. Because this movie for me wasn't as bad as I'm reviewing it now. When I because I saw it in the theater. Oh yeah, yeah. And I I left 
you know, interested. And there was a few moments that kind of creeped me out. Mostly it had to do with what I told you the first 15 minutes and the, the towny stories. <laughs> yeah. That was really well done. Yeah. But then upon this viewing here, and again, we've been spoiled by the success. Yeah. And in some ways is the oversaturation mm-hmm. of found footage. Yeah. It's just aged quite poorly in a really nice barrel, which would be the genre. One thing I always remembered about Blair Witch was it was also one of the first films to get a DVD release. So oh. I remember at one point going to Costco with my parents. You know, we're, we're getting our weekly our, our monthly Costco groceries and going through the movies. And I remember Blair Witch actually being in there and the, the tagline. I don't know which critic wrote it, but the, literally the only tagline on uh, the, the cover art was scary as hell. I remember that very same tagline. And I was like, hmm, like, at Costco. I don't, don't want to watch that Ooh, now, but yeah, Costco. yeah, maybe when I'm older, like, I'll check that out. And yeah. yeah, I was, it was one of those ones I finally saw and I was like, man, like, it's, I don't get the hype. Yeah. And sometimes films hit me, hit me that way. Yeah. And it's not like I'm not one to judge a film for aging poorly. I can accept the time it was made in, but it just says a lot about what's in the film, which is a lot of nothing. So, Horror's quite, and this goes back to the the shot we did on horror mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. Horror is a really personal genre of film because if it scares you, it needs to scare you on something that's troubled you inside. Mm-hmm. Comedy is sort of widely laughed at. Uh, romance, like there's certainly widely accepted tropes. Mm-hmm. There's lots of times in horror where it might scare person A but not person B and it has to do with what person A or person B has repressed. I I firmly believe that in everything inside of me. Mm -hmm. You and I both have a proclivity to being scared from ghosts. I know you tend to like slasher stuff, but neither yeah. one of us is like, I hate ghost movies. We both really like them. Yeah. And I've been and in the woods and camping and I've always kind of wondered like, oh, what's out there? You're st- exactly. We, so, took, we took a Ouija board into to, on a camping trip one you time. You did not. We did. We asked it two things. I'll share them right oh, now. Oh, Jesse, are you this, like, I have to tell you, oh wait, before you say this. Yeah. None of that stuff, like I don't believe in ghosts or any of that, but like you start talking about Ouija board shit <laughs> and man, it sends me over the top. Okay. So go ahead, but well, I've got, okay. I've got them now. I'll uh. mention the two th- questions we asked it. We said, oh. Mr. Ouija, are you here in the woods with us? And the markers went to yes. So whatever Mr. Ouija looks like, he was walking around the woods that night. We also asked it after that, Mr. Ouija, who's going to win the AL East this year? And it went to Tampa T and B Tampa Bay Rays. They didn't win. So Mr. Ouija's full of shit. <laughs> Him and Nostradamus can both kiss my ass. <laughs> yeah. um, so no, like I'm with you. Like I have. Rela- so, but how does that not work? I have rela- the movie doesn't. I have work, relatable right? horse to yeah. what they were aiming for. Right. So yeah, it's all very interesting. Yeah. So let's go right into it. Let's kind of cap this off with a nightcap, and you know, just kind of looking at you know the marketing of films, and you know how great this one was. Mm-hmm. I think there's been some other films throughout film history that have been able to also capture this, you know, pretty well. So my question to you, Matt, is, uh, you know, what uh, besides Blair Witch, which film do you think has had the best marketing? I feel like I always go first on this, so I'm going to let you start. Go ahead. Okay. You go first. Okay, sounds good. Okay. So I'm going to actually pick one that actually I don't really follow, like, a film's production from, like, its genesis to, like, its start date to its production to its post to its marketing and like as closely as I do with some films. But I definitely did that with The Dark Knight. So let me actually tell you some of the things that this marketing team actually put together to kind of unveil some of the things about this film. So, of course, everyone was really curious about the Heath Ledger Joker and what that would eventually look like and everything. So they did a cool thing that if you 
sent your email into this website, you would unlock uh, like a one by one pixel of 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 his face of what he looked like. So if enough people did it, they would unlock the whole image. That's cool. And that's how we got to see the first look. And that's when I was like, oh my, this is not a Tim Burton Batman or this is unlike a, a Joker we've seen before. Yeah. And then during Comic-Con that July, they did a scavenger hunt around San Diego. And if they found all the elements, they would release the teaser trailer online, which was a 60-second teaser of a voiceover, the bat symbol, and the Joker's dialogue at the end. It's a genius teaser because it's nothing. It's a logo. And it was so effective. It's a minute. Then around the time of December, we got a second trailer. And then they did something that I don't think they'd really ever done before, which was if you had to happen to be around an IMAX theater... You got to see the five-minute opening bank robbery scene in IMAX, which was the first six minutes of the movie. You got to see that like in its entirety. It's cool. And so then, then Ledger died in January. So then the marketing team actually switched things up a whole 180. They decided to put the marketing focus on Harvey Dent, Aaron Eckhart. So I remember putting in like my cell number into these websites, and at random times throughout the months, you'd get random calls from Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent asking you to – he wanted your vote for the like to help Gotham into the into the next era, and there was Dent Mobile campaigning mobiles going across the U.S., helping to campaign not the film but the character of Harvey Dent running for district attorney. That's like, awesome. Like they had so many different levels. So by the time that film had come out, it had so much buzz from many different facets that it was just a gigantic hit when it came out, and and unique different ways of trying to get the word out. Usually we'll wait for a trailer and then we have to wait for the next show and then the movie's out. That's really a great story. Yeah. That's awesome. I didn't know they sent the cars around. And I followed all of it. Like I remember getting like it being in like the car going to school and I'd get a phone call and be like, who is this? And it'd be like, hi, this is Harvey Dent. I just wanted to say that I appreciate your, your vote of confidence or this and that. Like it was, it was cool. That is cool. Yeah. What do you got? Well, this might be a segue. Okay. And not done on purpose. I love segues. Mine is... <laughs> Yeah, they're fun to ride, huh? <laughs> yeah. Mine's actually Paranormal Activity. Okay. Um, I saw the trailer in the theater, and that trailer was brilliant because it's very little of the movie, and instead, it's you watching the crowd freak out as they're watching mm. the movie. Mm-hmm. And then they created that Rebels on the Backlot sort of appeal to it. Yeah. And there's a call at the end of that trailer was, if you want to see this film, yeah. it's not going to be widely distributed. Yeah. So you better contact your local retailer yeah. and make sure the movie house recognizes that there's a huge demand because you're probably not going to get this movie. And I think there might have even been some buzz about maybe only a 15-city release or something like that. Sure. Because I remember leaning over to my wife and saying, like, yeah, there's no way we're going to get that, but we got to see it. Yeah. Of course, they were widely going to release, but but they had me. Like I actually, I think they, I actually believed that. I think they did it slowly. I think it was ten to fifteen cities at first, and then maybe like fifty to sixty, and then a wide. I think it it, it went small. Well, one of the things that helped that is yeah. the initial release mm-hmm. was only a one city release, I believe, in Austin. Yeah, I can't wait to tell the story on this. Yeah. Which, by the way, the segue is this is the film next week. Yeah, and you know it just. It, it it crept up on me, and I kept thinking, man, those people in that tra- in that theater yeah. in that trailer, they're not acting. Yeah, and there's people huddled, hiding, and like you can see them, like, oh my god. Yeah, and then you got a few very brief moments of what happened in the film, and they had me, 
I tell you, we walked out and yeah. I went to customer service yeah. and said, I just want you guys to know that both of us yeah. want to see this film. And they're like, oh, don't worry, we're going to get it. And I'm yeah. like, oh, you're sure you're like, don't worry, we're going to get it. Okay. But even if they were really always going to get it, which I think they were, they had me. I think it says it on the, the one sheet poster too. I think it says demand it. Yep. Like you had to go to this website and then like request. Yep. I'll share just one little kind of tidbit, and then we'll save the rest for next week. It'll be a great conversation. But I remember I, 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 I was on a date, and we were going to see Zombieland. I think it had come out early that September 2009. And they had us in the kind of the back of the theater, so we had to pass, like, the main theater. And there was this big, long line around the corner, and I was like, what film are they? Because I'm pretty savvy. I'm, like, kind of up on every film getting released weekly. What are they watching? And everyone says Paranormal Activity. I was like, oh, no, like... I need to come see this if this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's people aren't lining up in a line there if it's just for for nothing. You know what I mean? Right. Something has to be seen here. Right. So I'll I'll share those theater experiences and there's a cut and there's two. That's awesome. With this film that I'll share, but it, that was I was going to another movie and I was like, what's going on here? Oh boy, I'm coming next week. I'm coming next week. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's that, yeah. That's there's some other ones that we could talk about. The Spider-Man, for yeah, sure. That movie had that for me, but it didn't. It didn't have the brilliant marketing yeah. that that one did. Yeah. Uh, but Spider-Man had a lot of anticipation and enthusiasm, and the way that it came, like that was really, really well done. But that more so was just more of kind of finally it's coming. Yeah. Like, finally, we're getting that. Yeah. For one thing, you know, for what we talked about Marvel and superheroes, for them being such a powerhouse company that everyone goes sees their movies, I don't really th- find like their a lot of their posters or their trailers to be like overly like memorable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like something that like gets you. They get they get you into the theater because you saw the prior one. You got to see the next one, and they just have great word of mouth. It's not their marketing that really pulls you in, which is interesting. So, yeah, I think there's something to a great marketing campaign that really brings you into the theater. Yeah. I think the original Tim Burton's Batman also had that, Jaws, Star Wars. Yeah. They had to find ways to get some buzz building. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. This has been fun talking about Blair Witch, staying in with the found footage. We're going to have a great conversation next week with Paranormal Activity. But until next week, Matt, cheers. Cheers, Jesse. I got to get going. I'm going to head out into the woods. I'm actually hoping I find something more than sticks and stones and laughing kids. If you find that map, let me know, because that's what we really need to find our way out of that movie. (laughs) The map out of the movie. (laughs) Okay, excellent. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week. We'll see you all in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, and Stitcher Radio and leave us an email at ricemileproductions at gmail.com. The Blair Witch Project is property of Haxon Films and Artisan Entertainment, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>